wow, you people are better looking than I remember. <laughs> it's great to see your faces. Glad you're here. Uh, my name is Derek, one of the pastors. Uh, question, what is the source of your hope? You know, they talk about the things we need to live, right? You, you can't live more than three minutes without air, uh, more than uh, three days without water, more than 30 days without food, something like that. Well, how, how long can you live without hope? You know, we, we place our hope in something. And so what is the source of your hope, your confidence? Is it yourself? You know, some of you, you uh, doers, you're like, well, I hope in me. I can get stuff done. Maybe your hope is in the government, uh, misplaced, no matter which direction you lean, hope in the government is misplaced hope. Of course, I'm going to tell you here at Common Ground, at a Bible-believing church, our hope is in God. Our eternal hope is in Jesus Christ. But now let me ask this question. How do we know that that hope is accurately placed? How do we know the things God claims are true or the things Jesus says he'll do? How do we know those things are true? What is the source of our hope? How can we know how can we trust that God is who he says he is, that he does and will do all that scripture claims? One reason, the resurrection from the dead. That's how we can have confidence and hope in God, because Jesus rose from the dead. Do you believe that Jesus bodily rose from the dead? Is your confidence in him and is your faith firm that someday you too will rise from the dead? Meaning, if you die believing in Jesus as Lord, then someday when he returns, you'll come with him. Uh, you will be resurrected. Spiritually, it appears that when we die spiritually, we go to be with the Lord uh, if we believe in him. And when he comes back, something miraculous is going to happen. We will get new bodies. We will rise from the dead bodily as well. And those of us who are still here when Jesus returns, we won't have to die, but we'll still rise from the dead then. We'll get new bodies as well. This is what sets true biblical faith apart from every other faith. Jesus is alive. Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, Buddha, he's dead. Muhammad, dead. Joseph Smith, dead. Moses, dead. Right? Jesus Christ, alive. All of it rests on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Grab your Bible. We are going to kind of skip a rock across the last five or six chapters of Acts. Um, if you're one of those that likes to use your phone, let me encourage you to grab a Bible today. Um, and here's why, because we're going to kind of just skip through, and it's going to be hard if you're on your electronic, go, I mean, you can, um, but if you got the book and there's some underneath there, you can kind of flip over and then flip back, which is what we're going to do. And here's why. Um, have you ever just read large chunks of scripture? There's something unique. We have a tendency to do our devotions or whatever, and we'll read a few verses or a half a chapter. Um, but one really good habit is to read large chunks, because in large chunks, you'll see themes that kind of pop up throughout. And again, Luke is the writer of Acts. And in these last few chapters, there's a theme that if you read them all, it just kind of keeps popping up. And as I was preparing, we only have two weeks left in Acts. As I was preparing these last couple weeks, I, I kind of read over and over these last chapters and realized there is a theme here that we really need to hit. And that theme that keeps coming up is the resurrection. 
And so we're going to be skipping around a bunch, uh, but let me give you kind of a framework so we know what's going on. Uh, David did a great job last week uh, looking at Paul and Acts. Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. So there's where we're at. He's in Jerusalem. He, he's arrested. He shares his faith, you know, for one last time to the Jewish people. What's going to happen now is Paul is going to be in Jerusalem. He's then going to be taken to Caesarea. Uh, there, he's going to stay in jail for two years. Uh, there's a couple characters. We're going to see Festus and Felix, and it's really confusing because they sound so similar. Um, and then we're going to see King Agrippa. He's going to come and see Paul there. Then Paul is going to appeal to Caesar. He's on trial, and basically the Romans are like, we don't know why this guy's on trial. Um, and the Jews are coming, well, he's on trial, and, you know, and all this going on. Well, he appeals to Caesar. And in a conversation with King Agrippa and Felix, Felix is like, man, if he didn't appeal to Caesar, I could set him free. But he appealed to Caesar, so he's got to go to Rome. He ends up going to Rome, gets shipwrecked along the way. He's in Rome for a couple years also, and it appears the, the book then acts, ends kind of with a to be continued. Um, we don't know what happened to Paul exactly. Tradition tells us that Paul was released from prison then, went to Spain where he wanted to go, spent some time there, then was arrested again in Rome where he was beheaded and, and his body thrown to the dogs. But in these last chapters, that's kind of what we're looking at, and there's a lot of narrative, and whenever Paul is speaking, for the most part, he's speaking, defending his faith and sharing Christ. So let's look, and we're going to, again, we're going to skip through, but we're going to start in chapter 23, verse 6. Now, he is still in Jerusalem. He, he was just arrested. He just shared his faith. Uh, the, the crowd gets all riled up, and so the Romans grab him, and they carry him into this inner room. And now some of the Jewish leaders come in, and there's kind of a, a small trial happening here. So, 23, verse 6. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. So here he is, and I think Paul does this on purpose. You know, the, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, there were different groups, scribes. And then there's Pharisees and Sadducees, Paul, who was a Pharisee. The Pharisees really stood on the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, um, and they were looking forward to the coming Messiah. They had the real faith up until Jesus, and so many Pharisees ended up becoming Christians because they, they saw the truth that Jesus was the Messiah they were waiting for. The Sadducees were a little bit more out there. They, they rejected more of the Old Testament. They denied the spiritual realm, and I think, you know, Paul here just kind of is done with it, and so he just throws this out. I'm here because of the resurrection of the dead, and now they're going to fight with each other, um, and he goes out. But he's going to keep bringing up this whole resurrection thing because Paul's hope was on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. He's going to talk about it over and over because he is on trial because of the hope of the resurrection, and the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is the source of all of our hope and a cause of worldly people's angst against us. 
You remember Paul. Uh, Dave did a really good job last week talking about Paul when he met uh, Jesus on the road. You know, he was traveling, and his name was Saul at that time, and he was persecuting Christians. Uh, they were called the way. And Jesus appears to him and blinds him. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, well, who are you? He says, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. Paul met the risen Jesus, and his life was changed. And it's all about, again, the resurrection. Now, we talk about this, and Paul talks about it so much, and Luke decides to write these things down. He didn't write everything down because there's something unique about the resurrection, and there's something a little bit weird. Uh, there's a lot of Christians, so-called Christians or, or people in churches um, that want to follow God, but they deny the resurrection, or, or they'll say it was just a spiritual resurrection. Uh, Jesus didn't bodily rise from the dead. How important is it that we believe that Jesus bodily rose from the dead? It is central. There, there's a lot of things we can disagree on, right? What's the end times going to look like? I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, there's different things we can disagree on, but this is not one of them. We must believe that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. Paul would write it this way in 1 Corinthians. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, that means died in Christ, have perished. If our hope in Christ is for this life alone, we are to be pitied more than all men. If we reject the resurrection, we might as well just throw the rest of the Bible out. There's nothing left to our faith if we lose the resurrection, if we deny the resurrection. Because if, if there is no resurrection, Jesus wasn't raised. And here, as he says in 1 Corinthians, those who have died have perished. That word perished means fully destroyed, gone, annihilated. But we believe that Jesus did rise from the dead. You cannot be a Jesus follower without absolute confidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's not just hope for eternity, it's, it's the power to live now. We're going to have some baptisms later. And that's what we, when we baptize, we are remembering Jesus' death and his resurrection and it's our uniting with his death and his resurrection so that we can live differently. Now, the truth of Jesus' resurrection is going to anger some, and it's going to save others. So now let's uh, look at Paul again. Uh, he's now in Caesarea. He's on trial before Felix. So he goes down there. Felix is the Roman governor. Um, some of the Jewish leaders travel from Jerusalem to uh, Caesarea to accuse Paul. And we'll pick this up in uh, 24, verse 13. So one page over, 24, verse 13. Now here's Paul defending himself to Felix. He says, neither can they, that these are the, the people accusing him, neither can they prove to you what they are now bringing against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I will always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult, but some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and make an accusation. They should have, if they should have anything against me or else 
Let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead I am on trial before you today. The resurrection of the dead. It is with respect to the resurrection. Without this claim, Paul would be set free. If Paul just simply said, I reject the resurrection, I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, he would be free. But he believed it so firmly that he stayed in prison and taught it. And it's central. Again, now we're going to see uh, Felix is succeeded by Festus. You don't need to remember the names if you don't want, but a different governor. So Felix leaves Paul in jail there for two years, kind of like he just forgets about him. Um, then, then Felix takes over, and uh, Festus catches Felix up on the whole thing with Paul, and why is this guy still in jail? What's going on with him? And then Felix, you know, try and put this all together. King Agrippa comes to visit, and Felix updates King Agrippa on Paul's situation, and he understands it. This is why I want to point this part out. He understood why Paul was still in prison. Look at chapter 26, starting in verse 7. I'm going to start in 4. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by the Jews, O king, why is it that you think incredible that any of you that God raises from the dead? So there's, there's Paul's claim later to King Agrippa. Uh, but before that, we see um, in 25, sorry, I skipped this, 25, 18, and 19, this is where Felix is catching him up. He says, when the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with them about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, who Paul asserted to be alive. Everybody knows why Paul is in prison, and it's because of the resurrection of the dead. And it's because specifically Jesus rose from the dead. Paul won't back down. None of the disciples would back down. The first disciples, all except for probably John, were martyred for their faith. They believed so strongly that Jesus rose from the dead, they took it to their grave. They died for it. All they had to do to live was deny the resurrection, but they all died. And you see, as you read in, in the New Testament, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he appeared to many. He appeared to the disciples uh, again here and there. At one point, he appeared to 400 people at one time. And Paul would write about this. And they would write, he appeared to these 400. You can go check. These people are still alive. So this whole thing about Jesus rising from the dead is historically verifiable. He rose from the dead, and everybody knew this actually happened, and so they wrestled with, what is the conclusion of that? And it's true believers who land on, the conclusion is, because he rose from the dead, we can rise from the dead too. We have hope in our future resurrection. Because he lives, we can live with confidence, hope, joy, and purpose. And so this hope is in eternity, 
but also it's the power to live now. That's what's so important about this resurrection, eternity and now. Look at Romans 6, verse 4. It says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The power of Jesus' resurrection gives us the ability to walk in newness of life. Do you get that? Are you walking in resurrection power? Is your life different now than it was before you, you gave your life to Jesus as Lord? Or if, if you're here now and you have never surrendered to Jesus as Lord, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Believe he rose from the dead and surrender to him as Lord and he will change you. He will enter your life and it will, it's not easy, I'll be honest. But, but now it's more of a street fight with sin. But God then gives us the power to walk differently. That's what this verse is saying, to walk in newness of life. Listen, Christians aren't better than anybody else, right? There's nothing super special in and of ourselves except for we have Jesus. We are the recipients of great grace and mercy, and we have then a heart of humility, not a heart of arrogance at all, but now we have this power to live differently. And so now I want to look at Paul's life here a little bit. Again, we're kind of jumping around, but be okay with that. Four ways that we walk in newness of life because he lives. And again, if Jesus was not alive now, if he didn't rise from the dead, none of this would, would be the case. We'd be hosed. Here's number one. Because he lives, we live provocatively. Because he lives, we live provocatively. Okay, that's a weird word, but I'm using that word on pro provocatively. It provokes something. Does your life provoke other people? Good or bad, to be honest, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive. And so some people will be provoked to anger. They will be provoked against us. Others will be provoked to ask questions, to be interested. Does our life show that there's something different? Do we provoke a response or a question? Uh, now look back at uh, chapter 24, verses 24 and 25. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. And he said, go away from me for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. It doesn't look like he ever summoned him again. Right? Paul was bold with his faith, talking about Jesus, the resurrection, and the coming judgment. This is part of it. Because you saw elsewhere where he says, everybody's going to be raised. Some raised to eternal life, some raised to eternal death, not bodily, but spiritually, eternal eternity in hell. But here you see that this man, Felix, is provoked, but it's, it's not in a good way. He's kind of frightened, and, and he rejects it. A little bit later, look at verse 26, or chapter 26, starting in verse 22. And here's Paul, he's speaking to them, and he says, To this day I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer 
And that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Anybody ever said that to you? You're crazy. That's a good response. If you're living following Christ and people see it, they're going to say, you're crazy. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king, so King Agrippa is there now as well, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, look, he's so bold. King Agrippa, he turns to him, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. (laughs) I mean, look at that. Paul is so bold. And one of them is like, you're crazy. And the other one's like, you're trying to convert me. And Paul's like, yes, I am. Absolutely. I want you to be converted. And I want everybody else that hears me to be converted. Because the truth is, Jesus died and rose from the dead. And faith in him is the only way to salvation. And Paul, in chains, says, be like me. <laughs> be converted. Believe. And except for the chains. Right? Be like me except for this. He provoked a response. Again, Does your life provoke a response? If we live with Jesus as Lord, we will look differently, right? Our sexual morality will not align with the rest of the world. It will look different. The way we handle money will look different. You know, if we give generously... If we save, you know, there's wisdom you read in Proverbs, there's wisdom in saving, uh, and then, of course, we're called to give. So if we save and we give the way the Bible would say, our life is going to look a little bit different than other people that make the same amount as us. Our houses might be a little bit smaller. Our cars might be a little bit older. We will look differently because we will handle money differently. Brendan is uh, our son who just graduated college. And early on when he was, you know, when he went, all of his friends would be going out to do stuff. And often he wouldn't be able to go because he didn't have the money to go. And they would look at him. I remember him telling us this. He's like, they they looked at me like, like there was something wrong with me because his whole thing was work hard to try and get, you know, out of debt as much as possible to graduate with as little debt. All the other ones, they would work and they would have all that money and they just had these giant loans. His life, even at a Christian college, looked a little bit different as he was trying to be faithful, a faithful steward. Do we look different? All right, number two. Because he lives, we seize opportunities. Because he lives, we seize opportunities. You know, look back there. You know, Paul, standing before King Agrippa in his chains, he seizes the opportunity, and he goes right at him. You know, King Agrippa was Jewish. He, a Jewish he said, I know you believe the prophets. Now believe what I'm telling you. All of them led up to this. He seized that opportunity. He didn't just want to be free. He wanted to convert those in front of him. He seized the opportunity to point people to Jesus. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15. It'll be on the screen here. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
I love this verse. Leave that up for just a minute, Rhiannon. This is a great verse. Look at this process. It begins in our heart. We honor Christ the Lord as holy. And then we're always prepared to make a defense for what? The hope that's within us. What's our hope? Our hope is in the future resurrection, ours, pointing back to Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Our hope is that God has the power, and he proved the power to do anything because Jesus rose from the dead. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? We can prove that's true because Jesus rose from the dead. And so here we honor Christ the Lord as holy, and we're prepared to make a defense. Why would we need to be prepared to make a defense? Because our life will look different, and people will ask, and then we seize that opportunity, like he says here, to make this defense, to point people to Jesus, yet with gentleness and respect. So let me ask you this. What opportunities do you have? What unique environment are you in? Who has God put in your life that you need to seize those opportunities? Kids in school? There's people around. You live different. Trust, things are different now than they were, I don't know, a lot of years ago when I was in high school. But even back then, the way I lived, people asked, like, what's up with you? You're weird. I said, yeah, I know. Um, but they also, you know, also about our faith. You know, I was at a wrestling tournament, and my roommate, we were sitting getting our shoes on, whatever. He's like, how do you know there's a God? holy mackerel, <laughs> you know, but why would he ask? Because I was open. Now, I stumbled through that question, to be honest. I wish I had a better response ready, but if we live differently, people will ask, and then we seize those opportunities, whatever they might be. Number three, because he lives, we embrace sovereignty. That's a weird word. Because he lives, we embrace sovereignty. Sovereign, a king, this means we believe that God is in complete control, and we are okay with that. Whatever happens with the government, whatever happens, finance, whatever, we trust God to be in control. Uh, a little bit later, you know, Paul, because he appeals to Caesar, then gets on a ship, and they head to Rome. Well, and he warns them. He says, hey, let's not do this. God had kind of told Paul what's going to happen. If you go, you're going to be shipwrecked. Paul's like, hey, let's not go yet. There's going to be a storm. Well, they go. They get shipwrecked. But I want you to see Paul in the midst of the storm and the shipwreck. Chapter 27, starting in verse 21. Told you we'd bounce around. So here they are on the ship, verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and he said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. You know, but, but Paul here, in the midst of the storm, he has hope. What about the storms in your life? Do you have hope and security in the storms in your life that God is in control? You know, you might not get an angel to visit you and tell you exactly what's happening, but we have scripture. We know he's in control. We know he wants what's best for us, and we can trust him. And so we embrace sovereignty. Number four, last one. Because he lives, we live sent. Not just Paul, 
all of us. Do you, you know who the main character in the book of Acts is? God. Not Paul. Not Peter. The theme in Acts is what God did through his people. And it ends kind of with a to be continue, continued. Look at the, the last two verses in the whole book. Acts 28. Verse 30. Here Paul is in Rome in jail. This is how the book ends. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul lived sent. That's the end of the book. Go back to the beginning. This uh, bumper video we show every week before Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Guess where we are? The ends of the earth. Or we're close to it. This mission continues. Paul lived sent because Jesus has risen from the dead. We live sent. We need to take that message to everybody who will listen and even those who won't. Because they need to know the truth that Jesus rose from the dead. And that is the only way to life. That is the only way to salvation. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we are going to celebrate new life right now. So, baptism. All right, we have Rich and Austin. Rich and Austin, if you guys would come on up here, please. Now, uh, this has been kind of an amazing year. Uh, we as a church are all about life change. Uh, we are not interested in doing church. We are not interested in going through the motions. We are not interested in being an organization that exists. We are interested in God changing lives. Uh, and we have had more baptisms this year than I think the last two maybe combined. It's been amazing. And we need to keep having them. So... As you're watching this and you go, I need to get baptized, well, you can actually do that in a little bit today if you want, or we'll schedule another one. Just fill it out on your card. But Rich, come on up here if you would. This is Rich. Uh, Rich, what has God done with you lately? Wow. What hasn't he done for me lately? I think that's a more important question. You know, he's come into my life. Um, he's given me fulfillment and strength and courage to be the best person that I can be. Awesome. Now, what brought you to this decision today to get baptized? You know, a lot of things. Um, I've struggled, you know, for a long time in my life with sin. Um, and at a certain point, it's just time to turn all that over and, and give your sin to Jesus. You know, yeah. that's what he died for and rose for um, to admonish me of my sin so I could move forward with my life and be a better person, a vessel through him. Awesome. And you believe Jesus died on the cross? Absolutely. You believe he rose from the dead? Yes, sir. And here's the big question. Are you willing for him to be Lord? Yes. What does that mean? It means I, I give my life to Jesus to use me as a vessel mm. through him. Yeah. To, yep. to, to live his word, to, to follow in fellowship, and, and to preach his gospel to as many as I can. Awesome. Yeah, lordship, it means we say yes before we know what the question is. Mm -hmm. Yep, he's the one in charge. So, let's do this. Come on up. Well, I hope I don't knock this thing over. All right. I hope it's not too cold. <laughs> so, in the New Testament, we see 
many saved, especially in the book of Acts. Um, and always the first thing they do is baptism. Baptism, there, there's no class you take before. There's no prerequisite other than believing in Jesus as Lord. And as we just saw, his resurrection means we walk in newness of life. So, this is a celebration of new birth, of new life. All right. So, by your profession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Died with Christ, buried with Christ, and raised to walk in newness of life. Praise God. <laughs> Austin, come here, buddy. <laughs> Climb on in. Now, Austin did not want to share a bunch, and that's totally okay. We will never put you on the spot to share if you don't want to share. But let me ask you a couple questions. Austin, do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Do you believe he rose from the dead? Yes. All right, here's a question I did not prepare you for. Let's see how you answer it. When you stand before Jesus later, how many of your sins is he going to bring up? All of them. None of them. <laughs> your answer is the answer I most often get. The answer is none. Because Jesus died on the cross. He took all of your sin. And so when you stand before him later, he will bring up none of them because Jesus already took it. Isn't that awesome? All right, are you willing for him to be Lord? Yes. Meaning you'll follow wherever he leads? Yes. Anywhere? Okay, awesome. Have a seat, bud. All right. Austin, by your profession of faith in Jesus as Lord, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Plug that nose. Died with Christ, buried with Christ, and raised to walk in newness of life. <laughs> Good job. You good? So uh, in Scripture, we see two ordinances. The first is baptism. And we are told, believe, repent, and be baptized. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus as Lord but have not been baptized, I'm going to be up here during this next song. Come talk to me. We will baptize you. We have extra clothes right here. You'll be fine. You'll walk out with a sweatshirt and sweatpants, uh, but you'll be baptized. Um, the second thing we're told to do repeatedly, we're told to get baptized once. We're told to take the Lord's Supper as often as we do it. So the scripture never tells us how often to do it. Uh, some churches do it every week. Some do it three times a year. Uh, we're not told how often to do it, but we are told as often as we do it to do it in remembrance of Jesus. And so we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We have three stations, one there, one here, one in the back. Um, and if you get there and it's out, just pull the top off. There's a whole other layer underneath. Um, but we do this remembering Jesus' death, remembering his resurrection. We take the cup, remembering his blood shed for us. We take the bread, remember his body broken for us. And before you take it, this is for those who have placed their faith in Jesus as Lord. If that's not you, that's okay. Don't take it. Or come talk to me, surrender to Jesus, and then go take it for the first time as a believer. But before you take it, have a minute. Let God examine your heart. Let him reveal to you any sin you need to confess, 
anything you need to deal with, maybe a relationship that you're at odds with, uh, you need to go reconcile that before you take the Lord's Supper and then take it, remembering what Jesus did for you, looking forward to his return. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you, thank you, thank you for new life. God, I thank you that you want to change lives. God, I thank you uh, that your plan isn't just for us to do church and be religious. Uh, that would be really boring. I thank you that your plan is to change us to be like you, Jesus. That your plan is to use us for your glory, and I cannot wait. God, my hope is in you. My hope is in the future resurrection because you already rose from the dead. I can't wait to spend eternity with you and your people forever. That's going to be awesome. God, I, I uh, ask Holy Spirit that you would move amongst us right now. God, if there's anybody in here that has not surrendered to you as Lord, that this would be the moment of salvation, that they would say yes to you. God, I pray that if there's anybody in here uh, that has not been baptized, and maybe this is the time, God, that Holy Spirit, you would stir their hearts to say, yes, I'm going to take this step to proclaim my faith publicly that Jesus is Lord of my life. And they would come up here and we would get uh, another one or two baptized today. God, let your will be done. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.